As long as people discriminate unfairly or illegally against one another, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission will never run out of work. To support this large and busy advisory, enforcement, and compliance agency, there's a new chief operating officer at the EEOC. Martin Ebel joins me now. Mr. Ebel, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your having me. So tell us what the chief operating officer does, and especially in relation to the commissioners that decide the cases. Well, at the most basic level, I manage all the aspects of the EEOC's operation. So I'm responsible for the agency's almost $400 million budget each year, and it's nearly 2,000 employees. Right now, I'm working on the agency's performance report. And then, because we just got the appropriations for the year, the next thing up will be our hiring authorizations and our spending plan for 2020. Got it. And when you prepare a performance report, what are some of the chief metrics that the EEOC reports and measures itself by? Uh, We do a lot of measuring of the input that we get, the processing that we are able to do, and the results that we're able to achieve for people who have been discriminated against. So it it all kind of falls into those sorts of categories. Okay. And um, let's go through what exactly the EEOC does. I guess everybody sort of knows, but I don't think anyone has the full picture. You hear and decide cases that are filed by employees all over the country in all of the industries, including the federal government. Uh, And then what happens? Well, for both private sector and federal government employees, we provide opportunities for the parties to mediate using EEOC mediators in in, in the event that they have uh, cases or charges that they think can be settled in an informal way. In the private sector, we also do a lot of investigation. We collect information from the parties. We conduct on-site visits or maybe fact-finding conferences. Um, We engage in conciliation when we believe there's a violation of the law. That's another mechanism that we can use to resolve a case short of going to full-blown litigation. On the federal side, we also have a formal appeals process that federal employees can use if they're dissatisfied with initial decisions. And we provide technical assistance to employers to help them proactively comply with the laws we enforce. Each year, we have a really big multi-day training conference called Excel that's uh, typically attended by federal, but also some private sector employers. And uh, this multi-day conference usually attracts somewhere around 1,000 attendees, where we go into all kinds of detail about how to stay in compliance with the law. And of course, large employers are often in the news for cases or alleged discrimination. Of the cases that come to the EEOC every year, whether they're decided by the commissioners or arbitrated, what's the breakdown roughly of cases that are from large business versus small business? That's really a function of how we define small business. If we use the Small Business Administration's definition, then about, I'm going to say, about 40% of our charges come from small businesses. What does the caseload look like every year? How many come in, how many are resolved, and how many are added to the backlog? Sure. On on the private side, our receipts last year were 72000 plus. Um, and that's that's been declining just a little bit the last couple of years. Our resolutions were more than our receipts. We resolved 80,000 charges plus, almost 81,000 on the on the private side. And uh, our ending inventory in the private sector is about 43,000, 43,500 for our, our charge uh, inventory. We don't really think that's a backlog. It's only seven months of work for us. So... Uh, the average processing time on those cases is under uh, 290 days. On the federal side, we got hearings receipts of around 9,000. We had resolutions in excess of 10,000. And our uh, 
ending inventory in federal hearings was uh, just shy of 13,000. On the appeal side, we had about 4,000 receipts for federal appeals with resolutions just about the same. Uh, but those resolutions focused very, very sharply on older cases, those cases that were 500 or more days old. And we decreased the number of those cases by nearly 84% last year. So we only have 3.2% of our inventory that's now cases more than 500 days old on the federal appeals. We're speaking with Martin Ebel. He's chief operating officer of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Given all of these cases and the history of the cases, what kind of metrics do you keep on the nature and quality, if you will, of discrimination? And what kinds of trends can you discern? Is that part of the activity? Sure it is. We keep all sorts of information on the types of cases that these are, what are the, what statutes are implicated, what the bases and what the issues are. So we can break this down by age and sex and disability and race and all of the protective categories. We can talk about, if we need to, the intersection between any of those two categories. Um, and we can look at the trends in a number of different ways. We've seen, for example, a little bit of a trend up in the sexual harassment charges over the course of the last year or two, uh, perhaps attributable to the Me Too uh, movement. And what about age discrimination cases as the workforce gets older? Yeah, we've seen a fairly steady but small increase in those cases over the last few years. Um, and I, you know, I think that you're your intuition on that is probably right. We'll see how it plays out. But as the workforce gets older, it, it only stands to reason that we would see more of those. And what is the single largest type of violation that comes to the EEOC? Is it racial still? It is, but it, you know, there's a close second with uh, retaliation. That is retaliation against people that in the private sector would be what they would call whistleblowers in the public sector? In the federal area, we would call that reprisal. Okay. And getting to the larger picture, I know that another allied agency like the Merit Systems Protection Board uses what it learns from its caseload and the statistics, and it publishes advisories and summaries and guidance to federal agencies for ways to avoid problems that would bring people to the MSPB. Does the EEOC do that in the private sector? Do you, do you have a body of work developed over the decades that employers can use to maybe keep out of the place? Yes, uh, and a large, I think the entire body of that guidance is on our website. We're currently going through a, uh, an analysis of that and looking at it to make sure that it's all up-to-date and current and and we're going to weed out the things that are not current and, and make sure that we're providing really meaningful guidance to the people who need it. We also provide technical assistance on both the federal side and the private side uh, where employers can ask us about certain situations and what they maybe can or cannot do. And when dealing with cases that happen, say, in a large employer, do you also look to see if it's the result of, say, some systemic problem, some bad signal coming from the top versus just a rogue manager, say, in a branch or factory somewhere that is acting contrary to what the company views as its proper policy? Yes, we do. Um, we're always interested in, in looking at the reasons why discrimination is happening. And um, obviously, as, as, as I think implicit in your question, it's easier for us to resolve and and uh, remedy discrimination that's being caused by a rogue manager. But sometimes these things are built into a process or a uh, 
uh, a culture. And so we have to dig a little bit deeper. We have to look a little bit harder and, and figure out how to remedy those. One of the things we've done in recent years is to try to provide targeted equitable relief in the uh, cases that we do resolve uh, so that the relief that we're granting or that we're getting for the people who have made the, the claims, and sometimes the people who are part of a group, they haven't made the claim, but they belong to the group, are going to be uh, not, not, not necessarily helped in a monetary sense, but we're going to eliminate the practice that caused the discrimination. And of the cases that come through every year, how many are decided in favor of the person claiming discrimination? And how often do you find, well, it really wasn't? That number varies wildly from, from year to year and from sector to sector. But if we were to count all of the, uh, the decisions where we have either we have made a decision or the courts have made a decision or the parties have agreed to a settlement um, that we have been a part of, then about 15 to 16% of those resolutions contain some sort of help for an employee uh, and or the members of the workforce where they work. And this kind of work is something you enjoy, isn't it? This is of a theme for your whole career, isn't it? It really is. I love doing this work. I've been very happy that I've been able to do this because it's not everybody that can say that they get to make a difference every day. And I feel like I do. It's wonderful. Martin Ebel is the Chief Operating Officer of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.